You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Christina Hall, Chief Human Resources Officer for Instacart. Christina oversees the company's human resources, recruiting, and diversity, equity, and inclusion functions. As CHRO, she brings a holistic people and talent strategy designed to attract, retain, and develop employees at Instacart. She most recently served as Chief People Officer at LinkedIn and previously worked at Facebook and Intuit. In this episode of Scale and Culture, Ron and Christina discuss Instacart's experience developing creative and effective system to re-energize the culture when rapidly scaling during the pandemic, strategies on how to make culture be part of the day-to-day, and communication tactics and systems to intentionally engage the workforce at all levels. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today with us, we have Christina Hall. Christina, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. I, uh, you know, I was excited when I saw Instacart on here and of course, more excited uh, to speak with you being the chief human resource officer at, at Instacart. And what got me excited, and, and I mentioned this really quickly uh, before we jumped into the podcast was companies like yourself were so helpful during the pandemic. It was like, wow, this new business that provided people a way to pick up groceries that were fussed about COVID-19 and and what it looked like. I mean, especially I feel like Instacart, and maybe this is only when it came on my radar, but it it came out when when the when the pandemic was so unknown, right? Like everyone's like, oh my God, what do I do? Do I even I can't touch my face? Don't do anything. And all of a sudden you could get groceries delivered. Probably a great timing for your business too, as I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, you know, and my wife was pregnant. And so having you know things delivered to the home helped her piece, you know, her your you know, her mental health really uh, in a lot of cases and just made life a little easier. And so, you know, and you think about that in a broader perspective, providing jobs, allowing grocery stores to still deliver their goods to people. I mean, what a, well, let me just summarize this by saying thank you from everybody. <laughs> really. Well, I, I'm so glad that, that you feel that way about what we do, because obviously we're really passionate about bringing people food that they love and giving them the time to enjoy it. And definitely during the pandemic, we found that all of a sudden our business, which had, has actually been around for a while, we're going to hit uh, 10 years uh, in 2022, um, the business just exploded. And clearly that, you know, we, we felt really lucky that we could fill a need um, but that definitely made life interesting at Instacart too, just in terms of scaling the company and and actually making those uh, deliveries happen for everyone in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we're going to talk about culture and how do you scale, which, as you know now, we great topic. Love this topic. And now, now I'm assuming, and I didn't know, and thanks for that, that the, the company was 10 years old. I actually didn't know who owned it. I was just like, wow, yeah. this is app, you know, that it's like, the, <laughs> I didn't know if it was flavor of the week. I had no idea. So I'm envisioning like steady growth and hockey stick gone. Am I right? During the pandemic? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, you know, we were, we were founded by um, a, a few guys way back when as, you know, your traditional high tech startup, but um, our main founder, Apoorva Mehta is actually Canadian. And Part of the reason why he came up with the app was he 
really hated the experience of going to the grocery store with his mom and having to wait out in the cold for the bus to come with the groceries and all those kinds of things. So there was this mental model that he was trying to solve from back in his childhood. Um, but yeah, as, as sort of the early parts of our life, we were just chugging along as startups do, you know, getting slightly bigger, growing into markets, and then boom, the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden, something that, you know, a, a much smaller group of people really liked as a very useful thing became a necessity to so many. And that was just, uh, you know, mid 2020 was, yeah, it was crazy. So was culture important to Instacart before, before the pandemic? Was culture on the radar? That's my first question. Yeah, I think culture has always been on our radar, but one of the things that it, it seems really true in my experience is that when you're a very small company, it's easier to make culture happen uh, completely organically. Because if you're all small enough to be a you know two pizza team and everyone in one room together, then the culture is something that this very handful of people can understand. As you grow, scaling that is an entirely different endeavor. And I will say, especially when people are working from home. Right. Well, you know, and I would agree, I think in, you know, I've had a few businesses and when you're small, it seems like a big waste of time to systemize your culture, to, to, to process culture. But as you scale, you need to do that. That's that if you want to keep the same level of wow, we're this tightly knit team doing that, you're you're absolutely right. Not just as you scale, but especially with the pandemic and folks working from home. So let's go through that. How when did you guys decide, whoa, it's getting away from us? Like we're moving now. We need to start systemizing. Is that was that when you were introduced to the organization or? Uh, yeah, I think that so I joined in October of 2020. Oh, wow. So sort of this, like there had been this just six months of dead sprint. And I think when the leaders brought me in, they were like, wow, we need some help to think about how we re-energize some of the ideas around culture, values, how we scale some of our HR processes too, all of that. And so I got the chance to come in and they already had all these wonderful ideas. Um, they're really committed to their mission. They have core values. And it was really thinking about, okay, how do we make this part of our day to day? So it's something that people experience from the moment they, you know, talk to a recruiter through to when they accept their offer, start the job and every point thereafter. So give me a, a, a visual. What did it look like before? And then what did it look like? What were the, some of the things that you guys started to implement to say, wow, we need to make this part of the journey? Um, you know, there, there have been a, few of the things that we've done that are about really communicating to employees more. Um, we have, have really grown as a company in a few different ways. And one of them is a lot of new leadership, all of whom are very connected to the, the people messaging. And so we've started having AMAs every Friday. Sorry, what's so, an AMA? 
Oh, ask me anything. Oh, wow. <laughs> so every Friday, our leadership team gets on, you know, via Zoom now, and our CEO, Fiji Simo, talks for a little bit about what's top of mind for her, what's been going on with the business. And we may have a couple key announcements, but then we leave a lot of time for employee questions. And that's a way of sort of connecting, you know, all of the employees and their involvement and what's going on in the business. And it gives us a chance to reinforce ideas about what's going on with the strategy with relationships between different groups with uh, the sort of senior leadership team and how we work together as a model for everyone else in the company. So that's been really a nice change and something I think employees re like appreciate. Before you move to other things, because I love it, yeah. I just want to dig a little deeper. I love yeah. this. Um, who's invited and what's the attendance like? Um, so all of our employees are invited and attendance is really good. Um, you know, it's funny because when I first found out that we were going to do the AMAs on a Friday, I was like, oh, Fridays, you know, people, especially summer Fridays, you know, are we going to be having people, you know, waving at us from the beach? Um, and what we found is that people really appreciate the opportunity to hear what's going on and to hear directly from leaders. And because we do all of the Q&A, um, you know, unscripted, unedited, people can just ask what they want to ask. It allows for a very real dialogue. Uh, yeah, very raw, very real. And does it, I'm just curious, does that go down? To, like if I was an Instacart driver, I'm, I'm a contractor, am I there too or not? No. So our shoppers are gig workers. So they're, they're yes. not employees of the company. Um, so they don't attend employee meetings. Got it. Understood. Um, yeah. But I love the concept. I think, especially to scale, what a, what a great way to be connected. And I assume they're recorded and pushed out for those who, who missed the meeting. Uh, no, we don't end up recording them in part because we do want to keep them really authentic. They, mm. you know, what happens at AMAs stays at AMAs. They're confidential. Um, it, it allows us to answer the hard questions in a way that's, you know, true to the heart. And that's right now something we'll think about it. You know, right now we're not global. So with our employees being in the U.S. and Canada, everyone's, you know, within a reasonable time zone. And when we become global and we have people who it's the middle of the night for them, we may have to rethink that. Right. But for the moment, I think the fact that it's sort of off the cuff and allowed to be candid is great. So what a great tool. So of course, this is something that three of us used to do over pizza and beer on a Friday. Now it's right. Zoom. Exactly. Like what a great tool. So what else? Tell, tell me more. This is very interesting. What else did we add as we scaled uh, from a system or process standpoint, like an AMA. I lo love that. We're going to do that now. Yeah. Well, We're stealing well, that from you. Oh, good. Great. Um, I'm sure that all your staff is like, but, but don't do it late on Friday. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, you know, another thing that we have been doing is 
really finding ways to integrate our different employee resource groups and what they're doing um, with messages to the whole company. And, you know, again, this is one of those things that with the pandemic, it's finding ways to do these things virtually as opposed to, you know, having a party on site or inviting people to some sort of lunch and learn. Instead, we have Slack channels and we do a lot there where people might pick a theme for a week and then invite the whole company to participate in sharing pictures and ideas, whether that's, um, you know, Latinx Heritage Week or whether that's celebrating, you know, Black History Month or whatever it might be, we really are trying to find ways to amplify the messages of our employee resource groups. So, so, so how do you find the champions for that? Is it like, hey, anybody want to run this theme for a week? How do you find the champions of these, these conversations or, or um, topics? You know, the great news is it seems like that's something where we never have any trouble. Um, people really love the chance to get to be a part of employee resource groups. And we've actually built some more employee research groups over the pandemic because people have things that they're truly passionate about. So um, we have a, an Asians at group that started over the pandemic. Um, we have a group that are allies that have started. And what it's very natural and organic that people want to be a part of these groups and get a lot of joy and richness out of leading. I, from a career progression standpoint, too, I will say that a lot of times doing those things off the side of your desk ends up being a way that people can learn new skills or try out something that they really like, whether it's project management or public speaking, and they get to do it in a space where they already have this um, affinity. Wow. Yeah, I love that. <clears throat> now, you know, just just for the listeners, Give us a visual on the growth. So, so the employee base went from what to what over the last 24 months? Um, over the last year, we've basically grown by 100%. So it's, it's kind of crazy um, how much bigger we have gotten. And we are a really interesting company because there is obviously this amazing technology that powers it. But lots of our success is about operationalizing, you know, the, um, you know, taking the very much the supply chain aspect of a customer's order online on the app to having a shopper go and shop the batch and get it to the customer as quickly as possible. So that aspect of the business means we have people who are in corporate, in offices, doing the things that you imagine when you think of a, a unicorn startup, you know, engineers, marketing, product people, et cetera. And then we have a really wonderful, amazing customer care team that sit in Atlanta, and sit in Las Vegas, and they respond to customer concerns and shopper concerns because sort of both sides of that team have to be working in concert to do well. Um, and and all of those people have you know have doubled in the past year. Wow. Then we have 
also people out in the field who are employees who help stage the groceries, sometimes in our retailers, sometimes out helping the shoppers that I talked about before. And those numbers are also, you know, in the thousands. Wow. So we touched on this before we flipped the on switch for the podcast, which is, and and I've certainly had this happen in my own business and businesses, but the balance between, you know, being intentional, being intentional about your culture, but the balance between saying, whoa, you know, it falls behind because we need to deliver service here. You know, have you found that balance? And I know, look, <laughs> internally for me, a quick example would be, you know, we needed, um, we needed a, an accountant at one point, our, our books were a mess, right? And yeah. so what we decided to do is, is, you know, really understand, did someone have the skills to deliver what we were looking for? And if they did, we would usually do a very- They're thorough, hired? They're, they're hired because we needed the work done. But what we did do, and I'm curious how you guys balance this, is we told the candidate we're not screening you for culture. So your, your six-month contract is almost like an interview. And we told our team to not have the expectations. There may be misalignment and to keep an eye on this individual that we have not screened for culture based on the business needs. How have you guys done that? Um, you know, I think that I really try and make sure that we're always thinking about those two tensions yeah. because obviously, you know, when, when you order from Instacart, you want your ice cream to show up on your door, you know, in a frozen form, not a big puddle. And sort of making sure that we have everything in place to do that quickly is a big part of what our company is. But one of our, our core values is it's your baby, meaning we all have to care about sort of what's going on here from beginning to end. And I think part of that is about who we're hiring and how we're bringing them into the company. And so you know, I'm not going to say that we ever, we don't ever sacrifice, um, but it's something that we're pretty committed to. And we have hired a diversity, equity, and belonging team that are really helping us sort of make sure that we're intentional as we think about our continued growth to make sure that we're bringing people in that you know, reflect our culture and reflect the diversity of the talent pool out there in the world. Um, because we, we really feel like it's funny, but I mean, food and sort of connecting with our customers through food, that is something that's so close to how people feel about their own culture and their own self. And the more we have a diverse workforce, that understands all those aspects, I think the better the, the product is and the more successful we'll be. Makes, yeah, it makes total sense. And it sounds like you guys are being pretty progressive about this, but there, there must be times where people are like saying, okay, so, you know, we need to deliver on this. We're growing so quickly. The needs of the business, we, we, we might have to park some culture initiatives or <laughs> this strategy. Yeah. And I'm sure it is like that, that must happen. Totally. I mean, we have to be strategic, but also realistic too. And, and I think for me, part of that is, is, is just being planful, you know, 
thinking about what we're trying to do in terms of our diversity, equity, belonging strategy, and really taking the time to think about, okay, how do we make steps towards this goal as we're progressing the business? And so, you know, we're we're going to start with diverse slates for interviewing. That is- diverse, you know, Sorry, sorry, Christine, diverse slates? Yeah. What yeah, is that? Like, uh, um, you know, historically, people might have thought about a term called the Rooney Rule from when in American football in the NFL, they used to, uh, or a while back, they introduced that idea you had to inter interview at least one Black candidate for the coaching jobs. And so that was a colloquial way of referring to this idea that you've got to bring in an interviewing slate that is more reflective of the talent population. And so we wanna be doing that at Instacart where we're looking at not just the first people who apply for a job, but seeking out a diverse slate so that we're really being intentional about who we hire. So, so interesting, so what does that look like? So you have a role coming in, you're like, okay, let's see who applies. Okay, right now it's all white middle-aged males. We our slate says we need an African American, we need a female, we need a like a Latino. Like, so we're going to not stop until we finally someone who applies like that. Or am I getting it wrong? Well, for many of our jobs, though we get a lot of applications, we're also screening to find people who have pretty specific skill sets. Even in the you know even in the time that we're growing a lot, we are still competing for, for talent versus a lot of our high-tech peers. And so you're really looking at very specialized skill sets. So when we're doing that, we're trying to find people who represent those skill sets and the diverse characteristics and sort of not rushing to just hire someone we've worked with before or someone we might know through a friend, because I think those network bias sort of leads to much more homogeneous hiring. So, but the slate isn't exactly to ensure that someone, I, I'm still not connecting slate to, to the hiring process. Yeah, the, the slate means you're at least talking to people who are diverse. Got it, you know, you're okay. In, they're part of the interviewing process. So there is a goal. There is a, wow, okay, let's have a goal of having this type of diversity at the table for this for this role. Yes. Got it. Okay. Um, that's interesting. And I think in a, in a great strategy, We this came up on our podcast with the um, head of diversity inclusion at GM and, and just about how they strategize about that. And they talked about, which is interesting, I certainly think our company has to do a better job of this, is having relationships with stakeholder groups with represented these, you know, whether it's minorities or different, um, you know, whether it's in, you know, it could be any, any groups. Characteristics. So really, yeah. Characteristics. Right. That's right. You know? And so I, I really like that. That's something we haven't thought about because I've been a little stuck on how do you get diversity to the table? If you just post online, I wouldn't know the first thing about where, you know, a, um, a, um, uh, a black female from ages 30 plus would, would what they're doing online that, that maybe I'm not even thinking about. I just, yeah. especially where it's online posting and I was really challenging. So, so it was a bit of an aha moment when he mentioned, Hey, we go to these groups and we have partnerships with, with key stakeholders that then push out our, um, our new hiring initiatives. I thought that was great. Yeah. I mean, 
so prior to being at Instacart, I was um, the head of people at LinkedIn. So oh, wow. I'm sort of very much a big believer that you can use online posting to also um, find diverse candidates. I'm not sure you necessarily have to go to some, you know, very different place. LinkedIn provides sort of the opportunity to be out there in the world with your posting. But just, sometimes just the fact that you yeah. can choose and, I, and I'm not even aware of that. Can you tell me more about that? I'm curious. Um, I think it's more about how you post and thinking about making sure that the qualifications that you're presenting for a role are sort of something that presents openness for people, um, you know, focusing on the minimum required characteristics or requirements rather than um, sort of the aspirational characteristics. And then when you get people who apply, when you post on LinkedIn, you oftentimes get lots and lots of people applying for jobs. And sometimes it's just a matter of taking a minute to look through the whole list of what comes in and maybe not sort of going first to the school you recommend or the school you recognize, sorry. It's funny, as you're saying this, I'm also thinking like, how would you know? Like, unless you're going to judge someone's last name, you're like, wow, that person might be indigenous. I have no, like most resumes don't have pictures. Like, I guess, I guess with LinkedIn, they're kind of solving that problem. You check their LinkedIn profile, right? Yeah. I mean, I think with, with LinkedIn, you have an opportunity to oftentimes visually identify someone right. if they use a picture. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So I wanted to, one thing I was curious about um, when I was thinking of Instacart, because it is a gig economy, and I'm curious how um, how in depth is the the cultural piece blanketed over the uh, the gig workers, the drivers, and whatnot, and what is the balance there? Is it all nothing? No, we do a little bit of stuff. What does that look like? You know, that is a really interesting balance and something that I thought a lot about when I took this job because I think it is. It's really a, a very natural legal tension, right? Because right. we don't have an employment relationship with our shoppers. And yet they're such an incredibly important part of the company's success. And the, the experience that a, that a customer has with our shopper is really their experience of Instacart. 100%. Right, they're there helping make sure you get what you need, what shows up on your porch. You know, they they oftentimes, if you've used Instacart, you've probably chatted back and forth with a shopper. Oh, they don't have Italian parsley today. Do you want the regular kind or I, I, whatever I hate it to might say be? This, Christine, I think my wife yeah. has made a few of your shoppers quit. They're like, I'm not dealing, or they inspired her. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, usually I think our shoppers like the experience of when they get responsiveness on the chat. So they're able to deliver the right things for people. But, um, so there, there is this like important relationship that we have with the shoppers. And I work a lot with our ops team who is sort of managing them and thinking about how the app works for them during the pandemic. Uh, I mean, the sort of the throes of it, we talked a lot about the safety kits that we wanted shoppers to be able to access if they wanted to use masks um, and all, all those kinds of things. So 
there's there's a relationship there, but it is something that I that I have to think about. Well, it's interesting. Um, so when I sold my first business, I was in the private security business, and I sold. Uh, we we had um, thousands of employees across Canada, and when I sold the business in 2017 to Allied Universal out of Santa Ana, California, we had a very different culture and very we were a very flat organization by the time we sold, and that was our claim to fame is really pushing the the industry norms. And so we, my wife and I, went to California. We had our daughter. We went there for. Um, six weeks. And it was the first time that I actually was in an Uber. I had never uh -huh. been in Uber before. And, <laughs> okay. so, and there was Uber and then I noticed Lyft and I didn't even really know about Lyft at the time. Yeah. And so I got into conversations and I, and I actually wrote a LinkedIn article about this, but my conversations and my curiosity would drive me to say, why Uber and Lyft? Why do you have both? And tell me about both companies and why did you choose to do both? And verbatim, every driver would say, you know what? Uber's bigger. We have more choice, but Lyft treats us better. Yeah. And our experience, our choices, we can get tips from the customer back then. And maybe they've changed yes. that, right? So, so, and I thought I, my article was about really not necessarily about the culture. It was more about thinking about the stakeholders, which yes, to me does. The intentionality, right? Correct, think, right? Because, think, yes. Well, I'm just going to say that's what, that's what that's what was missed. Like if if Uber did that, I don't think Lyft would have built a great business. It would have been very challenging, right? Because they found a gap in a stakeholder that was left behind. Yeah, um, I think that is something that we've thought a lot about, and um, it is one of those things where, like for example, when you use the Instacart app, we're very clear there and. Obviously, it's it's a key part of how we um, keep our shoppers. 100% of tips go to the shoppers. And so if your wife is having a great experience with someone and she decides to increase her tip, you know, she can know that that's recognizing someone who did a great job. And we really do want to, you know, think about that. Because they do that at we, the end, right? Do they do that at the end with Instacart? Um, you can you can increase the tip at the end, or you can make the selection at the beginning and just just leave it. Okay. Both both places you're able to make a change if you want. You because know, because I do think as you scale, I'm curious your thoughts on this. It is tough if you have this, you know, like I always believe in building high performance culture, right? Very high. So you know, our, in our values, it'll say you know, finish your projects on time, exceed your targets. These are performance language that lives in our culture. Yes. But I don't think that, um, this is my opinion today, I think that's very challenging and starts to get diluted as you deal with gig employees, contractors, and even frontline staff members slash leaders. And so yeah. what we did, Christina, is we dummied it down and maybe we shouldn't use the word dummy. We, we, we've we've um, simplified it and said there are line in the sand things. So for instance, under, you know, continuous uh, improvement, you know, taking responsibility or under team driven, I should say, taking responsibility for actions that that one does go to our contractors, our frontliners, but being completely innovative, not necessarily. What are your thoughts on that? And, and have you guys applied a strategy or thinking about a strategy to say, okay, our, our, our key culture and, and values are this, but, but does it change with gig employees and, and contractors, contractors, et cetera? I definitely don't think it changes for us. I mean, one of the things that 
we talk about a lot and and the senior leadership team was just debating this the other day is like our values how do we think about the ways that they can positively impact the shopper so you know if we think about how we want to be customer centric that customer centricity necessarily has to flow out to the shoppers and so whether it's the ways that we're building the shopper app, because that's, if you're a shopper for Instacart, you use an app that is different from the person who's buying the groceries, the customer. But in designing that, obviously we wanna do something that makes it as easy as possibly can be for the shopper to be successful, feel great about the job they're doing, do it quickly, um, deliver the right stuff. And so, We've thought about, we, we um, built some tools where we wanted shoppers to be able to see how they were being rated. Um, you know, if there's any change in the feedback around the delivery they got so that they're able to experience the, the highs of that and know if there's anything they need to do to improve. I was gonna ask, um... And, and I think that I, I love that. And I love that you guys are discussing that now, I think is very interesting. Um, but, you know, you mentioned before, and I don't know if this is a value or sub language in your value, but you said it's your baby, right? Yeah. Like to me, that seems to be a carry forward value for the gig worker or the, 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 the shopper, because, you know, I mean, you said it before, if I don't look at this grocery delivery as my baby, then the ice cream is going to be on the back door in the hot sun with uh, not underneath <laughs> yeah. the shade. Right. Like, yeah. so it seems like, but, but then how do you do that? And so my question is, does the, does the worker know that today, the gig worker, do they also, do, are they under the blanket of it's your baby? And it, that's first question. Number one. Uh, um, I, I don't know how much the shoppers know, like the corporate values right. that we talk about. So it's a good question. And I probably should find out if, if they're hearing some of those messages too. But we've done um, a fair amount of, of experiences where number one, members of the leadership team go out and do shopping so that we can sort of walk a mile in their tennis shoes. The undercover and boss thing, right? Exactly. Because it's, it's really pretty tough. And um, we are so appreciative that shoppers enjoy it. I personally, my daughter has been a shopper. So I got a chance to sort of do it with her. And it's fun to see how a shopper can, can make it a little bit of a game. You know, for she and I, when we were talking about what comes in as a batch, we got to think about like, oh, what do we think this person is making when I got this grocery list? And that that mindset helps you think about what the right substitution might be. Right. Um, and so then if you're chatting with the customer, it's like, oh, they're out of this. What about that? you make the right substitution if you're thinking correctly about what they're trying to do. And so we encourage our shoppers to think outside the box, to be helpful to the customer. We've done some work we, we called Beyond the Cart, where we got a chance to really get to know some of our longer term shoppers very well and understand how they're doing the job and 
you know, what we can do to improve upon it for them too. So there's, there is a connection there that's beyond just the, I don't know, the experience of an unknown gig worker. Like we really want to understand what right. it is that makes shoppers excited about what they're doing. So I, as you were talking, I was wondering, cause I, I think back to, you know, uh, I, I've gone shopping for, and I, I love to cook. So I do a lot of shopping myself, but, but yeah. you know, I'll go shopping for my wife or I'll go shopping for, you know, a, a friend and the grocery lists are very different. Right. And so, <laughs> yes. so for instance, in some cases I have a grocery list and it's a wild goose chase. Like it, it, it would say like broccoli, milk, peas. Like I'm like, what? Yes. And you know, my, I don't do well with this. I'm dyslexic and have ADHD. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's hell for me. Does, does the app kind of organize things? I was just Definitely. curious to say like, okay, here's your. Graphic. Yeah. So, um, I mean, one of the things, first of all, like, you know, when you get a grocery list that says milk, if it's from your wife, you might know that she means, you know, whole milk organic. But if you're like you said, picking up groceries for a friend and someone just says milk, oh my gosh. Like that is just 20 minutes of indecision because you go to the milk case now and there's, 17. yes. So the app, first of all, we have really great selection there. So we're first off helping the customer select, oh yes, I want actually organic 2% milk and they've selected it. And then we have something that of if they click to the next and we say, oh, they're running low on this. Is it more important that it be organic and you're getting, you know, wow. organic low fat milk? Or if they don't have that, would you rather it's non-organic, mm. but something else? And so all of that is sort of built into the technology to help make this it easier for the shopper right. um and and faster for everyone involved sounds, sounds like a design thinking approach the you know definitely. not just works De from definitely AD, but they enjoy yeah. the process our huge catalog of items is really part of what's made us very successful because if if you think about what's inside a grocery store i mean there's a lot there and um, so we, we want to open that up to all of our customers. And then I, I don't know, it sounds like maybe your wife uses the app a little bit more than you do. We also do a lot with vertical stores. So you can also be buying beauty items from CVS or Sephora and, you know, picking up electronics from Best Buy. Love that. And, and yeah, you know, because I like to cook, I, I like the experience of going like I'm a, I want to grab the green pepper and feel it or I don't buy it. Yeah. So, so I'm not, I'm not going as much, but I, I think for the general, you know, and, and my wife, you know, I do most of the cooking, so I'm more of the foodie here, yeah. uh, but she loves, she absolutely loves it. She just finds I, it. I totally I hear you for like the fun Sunday dinner. Yeah. Um, but what I find, and I'm sure you're, you're very busy too. Uh, I really don't miss that experience on the, Milk, the weekday right. where oh, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I need to actually or essentials. Yeah. I've got things to do and I need to get dinner on the table. And so I find that Instacart's really facilitative that way. And it doesn't take away from the, the fun of maybe that 
trip on, you know, Sunday when I'm going to make something really special and I want to be there, but then it's not rushed, you know, then the rest of the week I can just open up the fridge and boom, what I need is there. Love it. So I'm going to pulse back to culture because I, I brought us sure. on another trip through our, yeah, yeah, yeah. our grocery <laughs> aisles. No, my I'm very fault. passionate about my groceries too. <laughs> and I'm very, and, and I'm a foodie and I love, I'm yeah. curious about the business. So thanks for sharing, but go back to tell me like the, oh my goodness, since you've been there, Christina, <laughs> what has been the thing that's like, wow, this thing's getting away from us from a scaling perspective, you know, where you just grow so fast. And you look back and like, oh my God, this is a mess now I have to clean it up. Like there's gotta be some of these war stories, right? <laughs> um, you know, Culturally. the, the- the the funny thing is, I, I feel like um, it, it's not so much that things have gotten away from us. It's more that we literally found ourselves in middle of 2020 and we're like, okay, let's like, let's take this huge group that we've grown and, you know, shape it into that next thing. And so it's it's really been more the opportunity now to have all these new excited employees and realize, okay, that is powerful. Like these people have joined at a time that we are growing in an amazing way, bringing great services to bear. And so they want to do more. They want to be involved in the culture. So it's more like we realize, okay, we have got to be putting stuff out there that people can grab onto. Right. They, they want to be a part of it. That's kind of to the point about growing employee resource group, growing connections and opening up opportunities for communications. Um, one of the other things that I think every leader struggles with right now as we are still at home is is really just about how do we build connections of all these new employees so many of whom have never met one another in person and so that's been something that you know we're we're still sort of constantly navigating because at the beginning of the work from home time we did, for example, in the people team, we did wine down Wednesdays where people would have a glass of wine and get a chance to chat on Zoom. And I'll tell you what, I'm sure as, as you've experienced, as the pandemic has worn on, people don't want to be online for one more glass of wine on the evening. They are Zoomed out. Yeah, And so it's really been thinking about how do we actually, you know, make some tweaks that allow for people that build relationships with one another that don't have to be, you know, within a 10 foot radius. Yeah. And I, so it, that's been intentional for sure. And you're right. Cause it's been cyclical things that worked yesterday aren't working today. <laughs> yeah. So it's you're, I, I've seen that in our own group and we've changed so many times and, and we've let some things go versus kept them alive and kept them optional. I don't know if that's right or wrong. You know, it's interesting to think about. Well, one thing we've, we've certainly done and continue to do is when we do a new hire, uh, Maddie actually runs it is we do these interviews, 10 minute interviews and then send it out to the whole team because we've, and, and interesting enough, even pre pandemic, I've learned more listening to a 10 minute interview than I would have over 
you know, yep. pin <laughs> functions because of just, you know, the, the conversation was deeper. I just learned more and understood more about the individual. And that's something that we have continued to, to push forward on. And so anything new that you're doing that, that you find, okay, here's what we're trying now. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that it's interesting because you, you've sort of hit on a couple things that I think actually I found to be super useful. Um, Number one, it is the listening aspects of things. Podcasts and recordings become a way that people can learn about others without necessarily have it to be staring at the screen. And right, I think that, walk. that, yeah, that's been really useful. Um, the other thing is ironically turning off the camera and really giving leaders permission to just have phone calls. What I talk with my team about a lot is, number one, if we're having one-on-ones and we've met a lot before, and this is more about discussing uh, a, a sensitive topic or just reconnecting about different things, let's do it as a, a walking and talking meeting. So we just have a phone call and we don't turn on our cameras. Interesting. No, yeah, I, I like that strategy. It's funny that the phone call kind of was taken for granted. You know, it really did, it, that that happened. And and I'm a phone person. I really like to use the phone, <laughs> right? And I kind of miss the phone. And then sometimes it's weird. And this is my own internal, maybe as an entrepreneur, but I like autonomy. And I don't like sometimes if, you know, you're, you're seeing even are in this podcast, I'm sitting versus standing. I like to move around. If I'm in a meeting, I like to walk around it. And sometimes it annoys people like, where are you going? You know, <laughs> I, I move. And so I felt as if in some cases at a micro level, I've lost autonomy because when I use the phone, I just walk, I just walk laps and, and it kind of connects with my brain better. That's so right. Like yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. It also allows me sometimes to focus a little bit more on the discussion at hand. Because if I'm sitting at my desk, I've got two monitors, my phone, there's some papers I need to read. Like there, the, the, the tyranny of multitasking is really tough. And yet I don't think I um, can pay as good of attention to someone if I'm you know, looking at all those things at the same time. If I'm talking to you and walking a bit, then I'm really just listening to what you're talking about right. and maybe getting some fresh air. Which is also, I think, challenging for millennials. They don't love talking on the phone. You know, it's more text, email, maybe, you know, Zooming quite a bit. Are you finding that as well? Uh, I don't know. I think that I've I've got some converts at, at every age to the phone call. <laughs> right, right, right. One of the things I also like to do with with new team members is ask very specifically what are your favorite modes of communication Great and question. just sort of have a back and forth so you find out where people are you know some I, I did this recently and someone said i am text first and then phone call and you know, we, so i think i think we should the, add that question to our onboarding that's a great question that then then yeah. there's you know, it's not just about what you did growing up, but now I know how to communicate with you. That's great. Thanks. And sorry, I cut you off though, because I was so- Oh, was the, the other thing I think as we all get to know one another better as teammates is just beginning to understand the rhythm of people's days. 
sometimes people are, you know, with little kids, there may be very specific times in the morning or at night where it's like breakfast or it's bedtime. Other people are very naturally early birds or night owls. And the more that as a good colleague, you start to understand where people are in their day. I think it just, it leads to more effective interactions. I couldn't agree more. We were just talking about this the other day. I've kind of said to our team, like no meetings from 7 a.m. to 9. That's get the kids ready, get them up, drop out. Like there's no meeting. That's like, that's hell, right? And then 5.30 to 7.30 is really bad timing, right? You're, <laughs> you're totally right. But but being intentional about it is your point. Ask the question and yes. let's, you know, I think that's great. Christina, look, this has been a fabulous conversation. Um, before we let you run, is there anything we haven't talked about that you think is interesting, unique that our listeners would want to hear about? Um, you know, I think that Instacart is a place that has really grown in terms of its entire employee base, its customer base, but also we've made some awesome changes in our most senior leadership. And so we have, you know, a new CEO, a new president, a new COO, and I will just say that as we've introduced those amazing female leaders to the organization, it has been fascinating to see how our employee base is excited about that. And so I would just advise for, you know, HR leaders out there, if you're sort of worrying about the change management around leadership, sometimes you can be surprised to the upside how employees will respond to new people. Love that. Yeah, that's a great gift to leave us with. And, the, and it's exciting for Instacart. What a nice, yeah. you know, versus this people fighting it. They're really, it sounds like they're leaning in and embracing the change. Yeah, it's it's been really wonderful. That's great. Well, Christina, uh, and I said at the beginning, I'm going to say it again, thanks. I just really love what Instacart does. And it employed so many people during the pandemic and continues to do and helps, you know, not just, you know, grocery stores and other businesses now get their goods out, but help people that are at home and wanting to be at home, get the goods to their home. And so what a, what a, what a triple whammy plus also growing your own team and, and hiring and, uh, and being a champion for so many good things. So Christina, thanks again for dropping in. And um, I continue, or I look forward to continuing to, to stay in touch. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. For more information about Christina, please connect with her on LinkedIn. For more information about the Scaling Culture podcast or the Scaling Culture masterclass, go to scalingculture.org. We now have a waiting list open for when they release. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.